Uh, this past week, our family did probably what your family did. We opened up gifts. And it's so funny, as my kids get older, especially boys, I am in awe of the complexities of a kid's toy. I can't believe how much it takes out of me to try to assemble some of these toys. It's incredible. And as they get older, the, the more complicated they are. My, my son got a little robot. That wasn't that hard. But then my other son got this Jeep. And on the Jeep, it said it's, it can do virtual reality. And I thought, oh boy, this is not going to be good for me. That means I have to figure it out. And it's funny, as my boys get older, a lot of things I'm starting to try to figure out. My boys, especially, they're in basketball right now, and I don't always uh, know a lot about basketball, so I'm relying on the other dads and the other coaches to coach and teach them. But it's interesting, and I'm already starting to see a pattern in my boys' life, whether it's baseball or soccer or football or basketball, which they're involved in all of those. They're starting to look at themselves in light of how good they are or how not good they are. For instance, I was watching my son Hudson, he's seven, he's, they're playing basketball, and I can tell right away, as he's dribbling, and as he's passing, and as he's shooting, he's not just focused on himself, he's focused on his friends. And if he is doing it better than his friends, you start to see him stand up a little straighter. You start to see some more confidence. You start to see him being excited about the sport. But the opposite is true as well. I've watched him when he is around other little kids who are better than him. And you can see Hudson especially, he starts to slump his shoulders a little bit. When he gets in the car, he's putting on his seatbelt really hard and he's frustrated. I said, what's wrong? And they say, oh, this kid is better than me or I can't do this. And I thought, oh my goodness, at such an early age, he is defining himself by either being a success or being a failure. And I started to think about my own life, and I saw these same patterns as I started to grow up. I remember freshman year of basketball for me, um, somehow the coach did not see the LeBron James potential in myself that I saw, and he cut me. Now, he goes to our church, by the way. I am not going to tell you who it is, but it's so funny when I see him, I remind him often about how he cut me as a freshman. Now, I probably wasn't as good as I thought, like most of us are. But I, you know what's funny? When I go to play basketball now with friends or family, I already think of myself as a failure. I already start to compare myself to my brother-in-law, who's a great basketball player, or other people and think, oh my goodness, I'm not, I'm not going to be any good. And I haven't touched a basketball yet. It's funny how you carry that all the way in your life. You think, okay, if I'm good at this, I'm a success. And if I'm not good at this, I'm a failure. And we bring that into our lives. Sometimes it's conscious in our lives, and oftentimes it's subconscious. And we divide our lives in success and failure. And we look at ourselves, and we look at others in those same categories. And if we're not careful, we can do that in our own spirituality as well. We look at ourselves as a Christ follower as I'm a success if, or I'm a failure if. I know for me sometimes I think of myself as a successful Christian if I read my Bible that day, and if I prayed that day, if I came to church that Sunday, if I was doing all of these other things. And you know what? There are times when that is successful. But there are other times where I have done all of those things and yet if you looked at my life that day, you would say, I don't know if it was that successful. I didn't see Jesus in you. I didn't see Jesus come out of you. I saw a different person. 
So, just, so what if you read the Bible and you prayed and you went to church, which is all good? That doesn't mean I'm successful. And then I know people on the opposite end who call themselves a failure when it comes to being a Christ follower. And I say, why do you think you're a failure? And they say, well, I don't know the Bible as much as I should. Or I don't pray as much as I should. Or I don't go to church as much as I should. Or I don't understand God like I should. And I think, well, that doesn't mean that you're a failure. In fact, I see Jesus in you. You are growing. And so what I want to do over the next little while, I want to throw the word success and failure out. I can't convince you to do that in your own life when it comes to being a parent or in your jobs or whatever it is, but I want us to do it when it comes to being a Christ follower. Because the word success and the word failure, they're not found much in the Bible. But there's one word that is, and this is the word that I want us to focus on as we enter into 2020, and it's the word faithfulness. That's all that God wants from us. Not to be a successful Christian or a failure in our Christian walk. It's to be faithful to him. It's the reason why Jason Johnson, as he's looked at scripture and looked at God's character, he says this, our success in life isn't measured by our capacity to produce some certain set of outcomes. No, it's determined by our willingness to be faithful to God along the journey. If we are faithful to God and what he has given us, then we are taking the right steps forward. We will be successful in the eyes of God. So our prayer for you and for me in this 2020, our prayer is that we would be more concerned about being faithful to God than the outcomes that we produce. And this isn't something that our pastors came up with because we're smart or something. It's right out of scripture. In fact, it's out of Matthew chapter 25. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. We're going to be in um, verses 14 through 27 today. If you have a phone, you can just Google Matthew 25, 14 through 27. It'll pop up. We're going to be entering into a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And this conversation takes place two days before Jesus would be betrayed by the people that say they love, they love him. He would be betrayed and arrested and crucified two days before this. And Jesus, he's having this conversation that's called the Olivet, Olivet Discussion, the Olivet Discourse. And as he's having this discussion with the disciples, he's thinking about the kingdom of God, thinking about the kingdom of heaven. And when we think about the kingdom of heaven, oftentimes we think of the future, heaven, somewhere where we will go someday. But Jesus is saying, guys, heaven has come here. Yes, someday you will be with me in my presence, but that someday is far off. There is a life to live now. And I don't want you to be successful. I don't want you to think of yourself in terms of being a failure. I want you to be faithful. And so he tells this story, or how we see in the Gospels, a parable. A parable is when Jesus, he tells this story, and it's, for, it's in real life terms and things that we can understand, but there's a metaphor, there's a meaning behind it, and when you figure it out, it unlocks this meaning that Jesus drives home for our spiritual lives. And he tells this incredible parable that explains what faithfulness looks like. So I want to start reading that to you this morning. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 18. He says, again... Guys, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Right before he went on this trip, he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he 
was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. We'll come back to that. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and then earn five more for a total of ten. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more for a total of four. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Now, before I explain to you what is happening in this parable, let me address something that you'll see it says money or silver. The, the Greek word for that is the word talent. And the word talent literally in that culture meant when they got five talents or four talents for one, one was equal to hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so you can see that this master literally brings these three servants together and gives away his fortune, his most important money, his, most, his money that he earned in his life. He gives them to his, these servants and he gives them by their ability. So this is what we see. The master gives five to one guy, two to the other guy, and then one to the other person. Now, he does not give the same amounts to each person. So if I do quick math, that's eight. He doesn't say three, three, and two. Okay, it still wouldn't have been equal, but still. There is some discrepancy. There's five, two, then one. Why does he do that? Well, the master's not being fair. The master's being wise. Sometimes fairness and wisdom don't always go together, but wisdom... <laughs> always should win out in the end. The, the master understands based on their abilities and in what they would do with it. He knows, so he entrusts that to each person. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't like the other person less. He understands that each person has different abilities and he wanted to make sure he rewarded them based on that. I, I told you before, I have, I have two boys, seven and five, then I have two girls, three and one. My one-year, all of my kids love to drink milk. My son, Hudson, especially loves chocolate milk, wants it all the time. And Hudson, every night he goes to bed, he wants warmed-up chocolate milk. And it has to be like a certain temperature. Sometimes I'll test him. I'll only put it in for like 15 seconds, and I'll give it to him, and he'll drink it. He goes, more. I'm like, man, how did you know that? So I'll put it back in. So he takes that up and he, he carries it up carefully to his room. There's a little table next to his bed. He puts it on there and he drinks it all through the night. Well, my one-year-old, Remy, also loves milk, just regular milk. But I would never in a million years give her the same cup that I would Hudson. Hudson has a cup and it has a lid, but that can leak. But I trust him because he's seven and he understands that he just can't throw a cup when it has milk in it. But my one-year-old, she doesn't care. She drinks that. She doesn't like it. She chucks it. There are times where I'll be cleaning up my house, and I'll look under things, and I'll be digging, and there's a milk cup. I'm like, how did that get there? And hopefully it's in our wisdom as parents to say, okay, I love my kids equally, but I'm not going to give the same cup to Hud or Remy that I would Hudson. And that's what this master is doing. He's saying, look, I love you equally. I trust you equally but I'm going to give it to you based on abilities. And that's really important. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. And then we see, of course, what the servants do 
the one servant says, okay, I have five. What would the master want me to do? He goes, invest it. So he invests it. He gets five more. The second one says, oh, what should I do with the two? It's not five, but it's two. What would the master want me to do? Invest it. So he invests it. He gets four. The other one, he gets one. Still one. Still hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> and he looks at it. He doesn't ask what the master would want him to do. He starts to think about himself. He starts to think about, if I do this wrong, I'll be a failure. And so when he thinks about himself, he buries the money. All three do what they think is right in the eyes of the master. But this third one, I should say the first two, the third one only thinks about himself first, then the master second. It's interesting how the story concludes. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. Well, the master was full of praise. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Then he says, let's go celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags, not five, but still two. He comes forward and he said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. And because of that, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Here comes the third. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. And so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your one bag of money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you just deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest out of it. Three responses to three servants who thought in their minds they were doing the right thing. The first two thought, what would the master want? This is his, I want to take care of it. How can I do that the best way? The third thought about himself and thought, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't know how my master's going to respond. And so I'm going to think for myself. In fact, some commentaries think that this person would hope that the master would never come back and so he buried it, and then they could forget about it, and no one would ever know he received it. That's what this third servant's thought process is. And we understand, with that in mind, how the master then responds to each one. The first servant, five bags, five, and he turns into ten, so ten total. And I love what they say to him, and then also then says it to the other guy with a little bit less, but does the same thing. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. He says this to both of the ones who really took this serious and thought about the master first. 
He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I love the words, my good and faithful servant. Then he says, you've been faithful. What I don't see there is, you've been successful. Because if that were the case, he would say to the first one, you took five and got five, that's 10. You're the most successful. And then, hey, the guy got four, you tried, you did your best, but you got four. He doesn't say that. He doesn't put them in categories of failure and success. He puts it in categories of faithful, and then we'll see with the third again, non-faithful. And he says, good and faithful servant. Those are the words that I long to hear my heavenly father pronounce over me someday. And I hope that you would feel the same way. The things that he has given you, that someday he would put his arm around you and say, oh my goodness, you may have had five, you may have had two, you may have had one, it doesn't matter. But what I have given you You have been faithful. Thank you so much. Let's go celebrate. That is what all of us should be thinking about in our lives, to have God look at us and say, what you've done with your life, you've been so faithful to me. All you've thought about is me. You can tell even as the servants are telling the master about what they've done, they're so excited about it. They're giddy. They found joy and purpose in this. They can't wait to tell the master my kids, sometimes when I tell them to go clean up their room, sometimes they're like, I don't want to, and they throw a fit, you know. But there's other times when they actually do what I say, and they're actually excited about it. This kind of has to do with what I have to tell you, but not really. This is so funny. So yesterday, our uh, K through 5th programs closed just for this weekend. So Hudson, my, my boy, is sitting in the front, and we go home. After the message, and I don't think he's listening to me at all because it's his boring dad, right? And I go, guys, let's clean up the room. And I didn't even think about what I said. And at first he goes, I don't want to. And then he goes, oh, shoot. He goes, I remember what you said in your message. I better go do it. And then he went and did it. (laughs) Something's getting through. That's good. But you could see, though, really when they do do it for the right reasons, they're so excited. Dad, come look at this. Come look at this. I did this. And that's what what these servants say. I did this for you. I'm so in love with what you are and I see you in the right way that I want to be good and faithful and they honor him in that way. But the third, the third response is different. He calls him a wicked and lazy servant. He says, if you knew I harvested the crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you just deposit money in a bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. And what's interesting is what the servants are concerned about. Like I told you, the first two, they're concerned about being faithful to the master that they love, and therefore they take care of his money, and therefore the master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. But the third one is only concerned about the outcome. He's not concerned about the master. In fact, you know what's interesting as I was studying this, I didn't think about this, but then I'm like, wow, this is interesting. All three have the same master, and the two see the master one way, and the other sees the master the other way. 
He said, the other two were excited and wanted to receive it and then give it back. The other one was like, I was afraid of you. And I was so concerned about me that I buried it. It's interesting, when you start to look at yourself and care more about looking like a success or a failure and you start to put yourself in those categories and not just saying, God, what do you want? Just like what Jason was saying, Lord, what do you want? Do what he says. We start to think about God in a different way than he intends us to look at him like. We start to skew his character. We start to see different things. And then we'll start to do self-preservation mode. We'll think only about ourselves. And we won't do what God is calling us to do with what he's given to us. So either we're going to be faithful because of who God is. Or we're going to do whatever we want to do because we have lost who God is. So what does this have to do with us? So much. The first thing it has to do is that Jesus has given us much. All the things, I wrote down a few things just to remind us what God's given us. He's given us gifts and abilities. And we have these abilities that are physical and mental and spiritual. You have the gift of family, the gift of a job situation, the gift of the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you. And there are things in your life where you say, but yeah, this person has five and I only got one. And it's so easy for us to turn our attention from what God wants you to do with the one or the three or the five or the ten that he gives you. And then Instead, look at the other person and just compare. And that robs you of doing what God wants you to do. That's why one of my favorite quotes is, comparison is the thief of joy. If we just focus on the one thing that God gave us, and we give it back to him, and we do whatever he wants, then we will have this joy unending. But if we focus on what other people are doing, or we get so insecure about who we are, it robs us of joy. God has given you so much. And there are lots of you in your life that have a lot of different struggles. So do I. When we peel it back, God has given all of us the three T's. It looks different, but they're the same in many ways. We all have the three T's. Time, treasure, and talent. And while those three look different, you all have it. And what we do with it matters the most. And what we have with these time and talent and treasure is that God has given it to us to be his manager or his steward. He's entrusting us with these things because he knows with who you are and how you live, you will be a blessing to God and a blessing to other people if you use those things in a way that serve God more than serving ourselves. And we are called to do that. In fact, I love what Peter says about this. He says, Live as people who are free. Don't use your freedom as a cover of evil, but live as servants of God. When he says that we're free, what he is saying is twofold. One, you're free from the pressures of the world. You don't have to keep up with the world's standards. God has called you out of that. He will push you back in to be a light and to be hope to the world, but you don't have to follow the world's standards anymore. You don't have to be anxious anymore. You don't have to worry anymore because you have a God who is on your side, who takes care of you, who is there with you every step of the way. That is freedom. But it's interesting how he equates freedom as well. Live as people who are free. How do you use your freedom? Well, you serve God. 
That's when you tap in to this freedom. When you start to use your time and your talent and your treasure for God's glory and for the good of other people, you feel free. You feel joy. You feel like you're on top of the world. And here's God. He's pronouncing this beautiful declaration of your life. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all he wants from us. He wants us to simply be faithful. Faithful in the little things, faithful in the medium things, faithful in the big things. Looking to God and saying, God, what you've given me, I want to turn that into something that you would be proud of. And like I said before, if we focus on ourselves first, if we focus on, if I do this, I'll be a success. If I don't do this, I'll be a failure. We start to think, oh, those people, they're the gifted ones. I only have this. When we think that way, then we will be missing out on who God is and all that God wants to do. I can't imagine being that third servant and seeing the master just rejoicing with them. And they're just all going crazy. They're saying, celebrate, let's party. This is amazing. You understand what the real point of life is. And here's this other servant. I bet she's thinking, I wasted it. Yeah, I only had one, but I really could have turned that one into something. And all I cared about was myself, and I buried it instead of using it for his glory. And you and I have a chance to use our time and our treasure and our talents in a really big way. And all we have to do, don't think of yourself as a success or a failure. Think of yourself as, am I being faithful to who God is? Because he's been so faithful to me. So here's what this looks like. What do I expect in 2020? At the chapel, if you're new or even if you've been around for a long time, we have five values at the chapel. And these are not just values that we came up with to sound smart. These are the five values that we said, what would it look like to be a faithful Christ follower? And I want to end our time showing you what faithfulness looks like. These are the product or the end results of what our lives will look like if we say to God, All I have is yours. First of all, when we live faithfully in 2020, we're going to want to depend on God and his word. The reason we say depend is because it needs to be our food and our water and our oxygen. You take any of those three things out of your life for a long time, you're not going to live for a long time. You take God's word out of our lives, then we won't live spiritually We want to depend on God's word. I want to approach the Bible like I would approach food and water action. I need it. If we live faithfully in 2020, God's word should be with us, in us, coming out of us every step of the way. To live faithfully in 2020 means to love people and value each other. Jesus is incredible. He is so wise. He takes all of these hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament and he boils them down into two. He says to love God and then he says, oh, and the secondary thing is just love people. No, he doesn't do it that way. He says, I'm gonna tell you the two most important things you can do and they are equal to one another. Love God and love people. If you claim to be a Christ follower and you say you love God, but you don't love people, I can promise you, you don't love God. He puts them on the same plane. 
And they feed off each other. When I'm loving people, I can guarantee you I'm being faithful to God with my time, my talent, and treasure. And then when I'm loving God and and understanding what he's done through me and Jesus, I just want to go love people the same way. If you want to be faithful in 2020, God and people, let that be your focus. And everything else will take care of itself. If we want to be faithful in 2020, we want to be authentic, knowing we're all in process. One of the worst things that you and I can do is two things. One, try to be somebody that we're not. We try to be other people so other people will like us. And God's saying, listen, I gave you who you are. I like you. You need to start liking yourself too. And what holds us back is we see our future vision of ourselves and we see we're so far from that. That trips me up all the time. I get so down on myself sometimes because I see who I know I can become and I'm just tripping and falling all the time. But God is okay with that. As long as we're being faithful to him and loving him and loving people, along the way, we will become the very best version of ourselves. But instead of putting up a mask, take the mask off, throw it in the garbage, and be who you are. Because that is a gift to so many people. When you're who you are, flaws and all, let me tell you, people are learning from you. People are growing because of you. Because you're trying to walk towards God with your life. Be authentic. Don't put on a show. Don't put on a mask. Just be you. And look, you'll never, the the results are incredible. Also, to be faithful in 2020 means to stay relevant. It means to engage culture for Christ. It means instead of hoping people walk through our doors, we need to go to their doors. And we don't do that in a posture of being a jerk. We don't do that in a posture of being angry. We don't do it in a posture of debating people, thinking they're going to come to Christ in that way. No, we stay relevant by being loving and kind and generous and understanding their needs and just being there for people. You don't treat them like projects. You treat them like people. And when we do that and we engage them for Christ, we become the bridge between God and them. And so many people will come to God if you are just engaging them in the right way ways for Christ. And then lastly, but certainly not least, is living generously in all areas of your lives with the three T's, your time, your talent, and your treasure. One of the biggest hindrances, I promise you, in 2020 will be when everything goes back to normal, you're going to become busy. You're going to have things competing for your uh, time, treasure, and talents And let me tell you, you have to keep those in such a way where we're giving them all to God and say, God, you've given me these. I give them back to you. I want to be generous. I want to go above and beyond. Some of you may say, I don't have a lot of money. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is when the little, the the widow has this little widow's mite. It's equivalent to a penny or so. And he puts, she puts it in the offering. It's all she had to give. And Jesus said, that's faithfulness. It doesn't matter if you have a penny to give or an extra million dollars to give. As long as we're being faithful with our finances, with our time, being there for people, and our talents, using what God has given you to be a blessing to God and to other people. When you live that way, you don't have to become a success or a failure. You will be faithful, and that's all that God wants from you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being faithful to me, faithful to us, to continue to pursue us and love us and woo us back to you. In turn, God, I just want to be faithful back to you. The things that you've given us, 
I want to live in such a way where I know that you, that I am being the kind of person that is, is getting that declaration of being a good and faithful servant. Lord, help me to keep my eyes more on you than I do on myself so I live a faithful life. And I pray that for my friends here today. Faithfulness trumps everything else. Help us to learn that this next year. We pray this in your name. Amen.